0: Welcome to the due diligence podcast. I'm your host Robert Kraft and for more than 10 years with SNN I've been doing interviews with micro management teams at investor conferences globally as well as online. Our SNN live CEO video interviews are meant to pique interest and then one can discover more by going to that company website but personally I always have more questions I want to ask. On this show, I'll be chatting with public company executives from microcap companies, and we'll dive deeper into companies that are rarely profiled. Microcap traditionally is overlooked, unloved, and absolutely never featured on legacy financial media outlets unless something material is going on. That's a good story. With my experience interviewing management teams, having interviewed most of them before, I've built up a network of companies so there will be no shortage of content. Furthermore, this is an opportunity for me to showcase some of the qualitative lessons I've learned from guests on the Planet Microcap podcast. You can expect high quality interviews with management teams that may have exposure to broader macro trends that you may never have thought of. One of the many reasons why I love the microcap space. So if you love microcaps and especially love learning about companies before the professionals do, let's start our due diligence. My guest on the show today is Shaylin Simmons, CEO of LogicMark. It's a publicly traded company. The symbol is LGMK on NASDAQ. LogicMark provides personal emergency response systems, PERS, P E R S, health communications devices, and technologies to create a connected care platform. The company's devices give people the ability to receive care at home and confidence to age in place. LogicMark revolutionized the PERS industry by incorporating two-way voice communication technology directly into its medical alert pendant and providing this life-saving technology at a price point everyday consumers can afford. The company's PERS technologies are sold through the United States Veterans Health Administration and dealers distributors. LogicMark has been awarded a contract by the U.S. General Services Administration that enables the company to distribute its products to federal, state, and local governments. I recently met Shylin at a conference and wanted to have her on to discuss the company's turnaround strategy and pivoting to LogicMark from NXTID. LogicMark's current products and ultimate goal of becoming a caring platform as a service company, working with government institutions, in particular with the Veterans Health Administration and the nature of that relationship and the company's path to profitability. With that, please enjoy my conversation with Lynn Simmons, CEO of LogicMark. Shailen, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Robert. Great to be here. Thanks. Absolutely. I, look, it's a long time no see, right? I mean, we we just recently did a uh, a CEO video interview, short form, that five to eight minute one uh, up out in Chicago, and I, you know, I I just appreciate you jumping on here so that we can dive a little deeper.
1: Had so much fun. I was ready for you know jumping back on board and chatting with you again.
0: Absolutely. I mean, look, what's what's interesting to me and why I wanted to invite you on here is that logic mark is that classic microcap turnaround story, you know, and uh, that's something that I really wanted to showcase on here to give folks uh, more perspective on, you know, how sometimes the path is, well, most of the time it's not linear, not even in the slightest. So to start us off, can, can you provide us that one line that best describes logic mark?
1: Sure. Um... I tell a lot of people I'm in a I've fallen and I can't get up business, right? Which often is unsexy, and for those folks who grew up in the '80s, it's that classic ad at you know eleven o'clock at night and you know on television with that poor old lady who's fallen in her kitchen and you know and she's saying help I've fallen I can't get up and so a pretty classic old school seeming type of business so.
0: Very good. All right. So let, let's dig into a little bit of the history. As I said, it's kind of a, it's a bit of a turnaround story. In fact, I actually interviewed the company previously that I, I believe um, the, uh, that the company, I think I, I, I'm blanking a little bit, but I guess it was bought. I actually interviewed the NXT ID um, a few years back. So let's get that history and how the company got to where it's at today.
1: Sure, so Logicmark in its sort of um, first formation was an LLC that was um, created in December of 2005 um, from an amazing sort of entrepreneur um, technologist, I believe he's the guy who created that sort of remote engine start. Um, so we, a lot of us have to, you know, have him to think for um, think um, when you're cold and you're trying to start your car, you know, in the snow before you head into it. Um, so he formed this company in 2005, December 2005, and um, Next Ideas, you knew it with Gino um, as the CEO, was formed in actually February 2012. And so um, NextID went public on the Nasdaq in August of 2013. And then um, it had been sort of structured as a bit of a holding company with a, a couple of different disparate pieces in, you know, biometrics and fintech. And then in July of 2016, um, interestingly enough, NextID basically then acquires um, LogicMark LLC and um, you know and it becomes part of that sort of holding company under NextID um, on the Nasdaq. And so um, around the time of September 2019, um, basically, it was fairly clear um, for Next ID that the only portion of the company that was really making any real money was Logicmark. And it was doing really well. It had been, you know, we could talk a little bit about sort of our relationship with the Veterans Administration, but doing really well. And so. Around September 2019, they spun off a whole bunch of different unrelated businesses that they decided not to move forward with. Um, They had something called the Walk It, um, which did not launch. And then they had um, purchased a company and then spun off and sold off something called um, FitPay to Garmin. And so um, that piece sort of happened around September of 2019. And so around June of 2021, I was brought on board by the board of Next ID to basically um, really pivot the company. You know, Logic Mark was really the sole portion of the company by then. And, you know, it really was suffering from um, a very you know, difficult sort of period of time coming out of COVID, right? So um, and my job was to come in here and You know, not just really trying to revitalize the company's revenue, but really put some new energy and life back into it. And I was excited to join um, because it seems, again, it's the I've fallen and can't get up business. So, seemingly extremely unsexy business, but quite candidly, um, I think it's pretty sexy. And it's sexy because it's a great opportunity from a revenue perspective. Um, there's, you know, really, you know, cool things that can happen around sort of the tech pieces that we're you know we can talk about. And so that's sort of where we were. And around you know, February of this year, we decided like, why are we holding on to the name next ID, which is confusing everybody? um because again, much like a lot of folks that covered this company as next ID, it was very confusing for them. um, you know, are you biometrics? Are you fintech? Every time cryptocurrency went up, you know, at the company stock went up for some darn reason. It was because it was still associated with that sort of holding company side. And so we decided to basically rename the company and, you know, change the, you know, the stock um, symbol as well to match that. And, you know, really signal to the street um, directionally where the company was going. Absolutely. All
0: right. So for those, let, let's, let's take a step back too. Let's talk about the current product line as well. Cause I, I, by the way, thank you for that full history. And from a corporate perspective, understanding like, okay, this is kind of where we're at. And this is how we're moving forward. You know, yeah. so it, we're, it, the, the real turnaround was really this idea of, okay, we're in the biometrics kind of, you know, crypto adjacent space to MedTech, right? Yeah.
1: Okay. To to really this sort of category of what we call sort of the care economy, right? Um, You know, again, we don't use the word like aging tech, because I think this isn't really what we're looking at. Really what we're looking at is that one in four millennial and half of Gen Xers, a lot of us out there, right? That was basically being caretakers and we're sandwich generation caretakers to boot. So that means that we're actually caring for you know, our elderly loved ones, as well as like, you know, our kids who are, could be eight-year-olds who are like, you know, you know college-bound and young adults, right? So we're trying to provide that sort of safety net um, for both sides of this sort of equation to start learning to be, or to live more independently, right? Absolutely. And so that's sort of where, when we talk about the care, or care economy business or care
0: monitoring business, that's sort of where we are. Very good. All right. So how is what, logic Mark has out there on the market right now, unique and different compared to, and this is for lack of a better term, the current standard of care.
1: Sure. Um, You know, I would say that we are um, slightly differentiated, right? Um, A lot of the sort of existing... medical device business came out of home securities businesses. And so those companies were created to optimize their um, profitability around um, those individuals that they've hired to monitor the home. So, um, you know, this home security goes back, you know, decades. And so you've got a person sitting in a monitor service. So if they're monitoring your home, they might as well maybe put a device on your elderly loved ones. And so that one person could be monitoring sort of two lines of business and you're really optimizing your internal, you know, Labor assets, right? And so that's really what they leaned on for a very, very long time. And so that means that for you know anybody who's using these devices, you know they're paying back in like you know when we started in two thousand five, they were paying something like you know forty you know forty dollars fifty dollars in those you know going far that back and go going that far back, that's really quite expensive. And a lot of people didn't have subscriptions. I mean, we live in a world where everybody has like a Netflix account, right? Or Hulu account or Disney plus. But in 2005, like recurring billing was Really, quite as popular. And so, and if you look at this target audience, you know, of the elderly, they a lot of them are on fixed income or low income. So, that idea of like having this expensive recurring billing just to feel safe and secure seems just like an awful idea. So, when we came along, we put together, you know, a product that did not need to have a recurring billing. You buy the product completely transparent. You get what you pay for, and then whenever you need it, you push the button and it dials you to 911. You don't get proxy by like a monitor service trying to figure out what you need. You, put, you click on that 911. Is who you talk to, right? And these things, because they're not constantly pinging and making calls and to, you know, like a cell phone call, um, it actually has amazing charge. And so they last, you know, on one charge anywhere between six months to, you know, 12 months. And so for the elder, like sort of audience that we had, you know, it's a godsend because they don't always remember to charge. And so we also were one of the first to sort of create that sort of two way discussions, you know, pendant and to also make it so that. You know, you when you sort of wear it, you don't have to. You know, if if the battery is low, it'll literally say like your battery's low. It will just sort of voice activate and talk to you, right? Again, very helpful um, to basically um, a lot of the cu- uh, customers that we had, and so that sort of revolutionary step of saying like, look, you don't need to pay a monthly step really put us on the map. And we then began to sort of work with the Veterans Administration, which is the largest hospital hospital network in the United States. And so, and we've continued to have the, you know, that great relationship to
0: this day, so. But let's tell us a little bit more about that. You know, how did that come about? How did that relationship start? And wh- when you say you had that relationship, what does that exactly mean?
1: Sure. So we've been servicing the Veterans Administration going back, I think, to 2007. So, um, you know, this predates, you know, this thing called the GSA contract, which is sort of where the federal government comes in and basically negotiates with, um, you know, vendors and suppliers and and companies like us to set a standard price for across all of the federal agencies. And so each of the agencies sort of, you know, made their own direct relationships with the vendors that they wanted um, prior to that. So we actually had a relationship in a contract with the Veterans Administration. And so that meant that we sold our products to the Veterans Administration, and then they gave those products away for free to the veterans. And so, in fact, our um, the people who were paying for the products weren't, in fact, the veterans themselves, but actually it was the hospital network. And so, you know, they paid us for the product. They paid us to help the veterans set up the products. And so it, it's, it has been and continues to be a really wonderful relationship. Um, And then July of last year, we went and also obtained a GSA contract, which allows us to sell not just to the Veterans Administration at a very nice price, but also to other federal agencies, and in our particular case as well, into states and municipalities where um, there's a lot of opportunity and money that is being held by those state and municipal sort of government um, to help, you know, seniors age in place.
0: Absolutely. And, And if you don't mind me asking this question, please tell me to, you know, shove off if you, uh, it, it, you know, but, but what, how much, how much does that portion of the business make up as a percentage of revenues, that relationship?
1: Sure. So as a public company, um, you guys can sort of see that fairly transparently. Um, you know, it makes up about, I want to say today, um, a good chunk of our business runs in a veterans administration, probably somewhere around 80 to 85. Don't quote me on that. Please go and check out, um, you know, our public filings for that. But um, again, anything I say here, you know, please, you know, we're a public company, go, go take a look at those. But I would say probably roughly around 80 to 85%. Got it. So,
0: yeah. so, so when, when folks hear that, right, there's, you know, there's that obvious risk that some folks might sure. put in their head of like, oh, wow, you know, God forbid this, this relationship ends, like, what happens? So how do you tackle or what's the strategy to combat that potential risk?
1: Sure, absolutely. I mean, that's exactly why, um, you know, we have a GSA contract. And let me also say that, like, you know, with the Veterans Administration, well, it seems like it makes up a good chunk of our revenue. We actually have, I feel like, barely tapped um, into that particular um marketplace as well, I wouldn't say that we have, you know, with a hospital network of that size and scope, I feel like we've really only spoken to 20%, you know, 25% of that audience, right? Um, a lot of this is very individualized, it's clinic oriented, it's hospital, you know, oriented. So, you know, it's our job to basically introduce ourselves to all of the clinicians and, and all of the social workers so that they understand that we're, we exist as a product that's really helpful to them. So it's a little bit still untapped, But, you know, absolutely that, you know, when I came on board, well, this is a wonderful sort of partnership, we are looking to scale up those relationships. So we're very focused on growing and continue to grow the B2G business, right, the business to government business. And so, you know, we think that from a payer perspective, you know, having the government as a payer is actually quite wonderful. And so, you know, they don't default usually, you know, they pay immediately and, and they're really good clients and partners to have. So we are very bullish on, you know, with the GSA contract, you know, five-year contract, you know, when used five times. So 25 year license to fish gives us a tremendous opportunity to go and really go and fish in a much, much, you know, I don't I wouldn't even want to call it a pond to basically now fish the ocean, right? Versus this sort of like the Atlantic Ocean we're now you know opportunity to fish at every ocean. But we do want to diversify the revenue source. And so um, we have, you know, looked at basically growing our B2C business. And so we actually very recently in late July launched our first e-commerce website. And you'll see us basically look at, you know, building a subscription product model, right? Because now in the world that we live in, um, you know, because everybody has a Netflix account, recurring billing is much more sustainable for a lot more people. And so on a consumer side, we also feel like those caretakers, the one in four millennials and half of Gen Xers want to have that direct relationship with the people who are taking care of their families. And so having um, a recurring subscription um, relationship with them is the way that we think is, um, that way to build that relationship. So um, we actually today, um, is today Thursday? Today
0: Today is Thursday, October 20th, yes.
1: Today is Thursday. So we actually just made an announcement um, this morning um, that I'm very excited to share that we hired um, Garrett Hunter um, to be be our SVP of marketing um, to join the company. Um, Garrett comes to us from LifeMD. Um, which is a telemedicine company and is an extremely successful D2c marketer with a number of exits under his belt and successes. And so I have worked with um Garrett for years and um was we were very lucky to snag him um, from LifeMD. And so uh, he's a tremendous beat um, you know direct to consumer marketer, and so he's just literally joined us this week. Um, as part of our executive management team. So you'll see a lot more from us on, uh, you know, focus from the direct-to-consumer side to diversify that revenue path. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, look, I, I, I don't... I'm a girl who likes to plan, and so I love enterprise, right? And everybody loves enterprise, and we were talking about SaaS, you know? We have the caring platform as a service, and so we really believe that, you know, the enterprise business is also a tremendous one to sort of go after. There's in-home care, there is... Um, you know, retirement communities, hospital networks. Um, When you look at a sort of situation here where, you know, why am I so bullish about this business, right? You know, 60, you know, uh, 10,000 people are turning 65 and over every day in the U S market alone. Right. So by the time the 2040 rolls around, you've got people who are over 65 making up almost one in four Americans. Right. And that's like the largest demographic shift, but then you kind of have to couple that with the idea that like that labor shortage, is happening. So if you wanted to age at home, like 90% of people over 50 want to do, then that means that you have to have the people who could take care of you. But there's a labor shortage. And so what's going to end up happening here is that technology like ours from an enterprise level will help those caretakers now take care of maybe one, you know, 15 people versus the five that they used to have to take care of. So we can help them, you know, augment and help them take care of their patients, help them sort of allocate resources and figure out who to see first. Um, help those companies ensure that their in-home care workers are, you know, arrive on time, you know, are sort of helping the, the the individuals that they're caring for because there's automatic sort of like check-ins, right? All of those things are, we think, exciting enterprise SaaS technology products that we're very excited to put forward. And we're doing sort of the initial development and discussions with you know, um, some really exciting part you know,
0: potential partners. Absolutely, um, there's so many things to go through from that. <laughs> and thank you for all that because, uh, you know, I was I was going to ask a, a, a few questions, but but real quick, and t- and this is a quick answer. So when you're talking about this coming generation, is that what you refer to in the presentation as the silver tsunami and sandwich generation? Because I, <laughs> I was looking through, I'm like, what? Huh? Who's the who's the silver tsunami? I was like, yeah, Is that me? Is that me? I don't
1: know. <laughs> you're definitely not silver, Robert. So, um, I'm hiding mine, right? Um, so yeah, the silver tsunami, you know, it's it's fascinating, right? Because, you know, people are always like, hey, you came from an AI company, you came from Google, you came from like, you know, Audible Amazon company. Like, what are you doing at like the sort of like a, you know? weird sort of you know company that doesn't look like a tech company and my feedback to them is like look you're always looking for great opportunities and there's just silver tsunami they're like what the heck is that right yeah like silver tsunami it's literally the largest rise from a generational perspective like we've not seen this in decades in a U.S. market and this is not just a U.S. market phenomenon it's literally global right? That, you know, the boomer generation is turning 65, you know, the the first of them are crossing the line, right? And they are just a huge generational shift. And so you've got actually more of them than you have like sandwich generation folks and sandwich generation folks are like, you know, that one in four millennial and the half of Gen Xers, and they're sandwiched between caring for a loved one who are older and then those kids that they're sort of trying to bring up, whether or not they're sort of older kids or, you know, kids who are very young. And so they're sort of in that weird sort of space of being there's less, a lower number of them, but having to have a larger footprint of care for the first time because the aging population is living longer. And so, you know, that's a wonderful thing, but that also means that you're taking care of your parents a little bit longer. And while they're aging and living longer, um, they may not be always in the best health, right? And so, and what an independent bunch they
0: are. <laughs> and so, absolutely. All right. So, real quick, then go, I just want to go back to the uh, business model side. On your current client base, you know, speaking to the veterans. So, is that are you guys deploying the um the the recurring revenue model within with that relationship yet, or is this strictly just for the B two C strategy?
1: Yeah. So, um, you know, I think that you know we certainly are looking for ways to sort of deploy uh, a recurring subscription model into the government side you know whether or not that would be a bundle sort of like one year, two year or what whatever that looks like um to help with bring that monitor service we call it the triple protection right Ability to sort of reach out to your family members if they're unavailable for some reason or other, going to monitor and then to 911. Um, we would love to offer that into the government sector. I think they tend to be a little bit more leery about people not being transparent. You know, we are one of the most transparent companies that they work with. You know, you get exactly what we say you're going to get, no hidden costs, none of the sort of crazy things about, you know, we'll bundle two years, but what happens after two years kind of thing. So those are the things that we have to sort of work out with them. Um, but you know, from the B2C side, we see a lot of opportunities to do that because, again, it's um, an audience that's going to be comfortable with it. And, again, the recurring subscriptions and SaaS model is one that B2B businesses are, you know, comfortable and used to. So, but I do think that there is really a good opportunity to bundle something for the government market. I just think the question is, you know, being, I think, the most honest and transparent company we can be. I am um, right. very... Uh, I think that for a lot of us at this company, you know, we have veterans that sit on, you know, they used to sit on our board. Um, a lot of us have, you know, veterans as parents. And so we really want to do the right thing.
0: Absolutely. And I couldn't, I, I couldn't agree with that, that those sentiments more. I think everybody listening would be like, for sure, we're with you. Um so let's talk about the company's mode, right? Because as it exists right now, I mean, it's a it's a relatively, with with all intents and purposes, and and no disrespect, it's a simple device, right? It's a simple, <laughs> hey, I need help, you come and help me, type device, right? Mm-hmm. Um. So, what what what's stopping? Let's say you know you continue to get market share, you're continuing to get more government contracts. Let's even say you know you know. Hopefully, you know, for for the sake of the company and its shareholders, the B two C you know launch is very successful. What's stopping you know a whale in the space from saying, hey, they're just doing this little you know simple device thing here, click that, go, and then them just coming in and swallowing you up? Not necessarily an acquisition, but just going in to compete. You know, what's what's the company strategy to combat some of that potential coming in?
1: I think that's a really great question. So look, I mean you know, it's funny because those whales quote unquote out there, um, you know, we're the only public pure play in this category space. And so our public company competitors are from companies like Lively, um, ADT, and you know, their core business is home securities and retail, right? So these are small divisions within the corporation and they're not technology innovators at all, zero. Like, I mean, really there's just no one near that. And so, um, and I think this would 100% be true if we were just creating like what we've had in the past, which is, yeah, okay, so the only difference is that we connect you to a people, you know, a few people, and then that's it. Um, What's exciting and why I was brought on board is that we're really trying to completely transform this industry because I think that it's kind of gotten left behind in the last 35 years where the rest of, you know, every other industry has evolved. This is sort of like the industry that got left behind for 35 years. Um, You know, I come out of a, you know, IoT, machine learning, AI sort of technology background. And so, you know, somehow all of this sort of exciting innovations in IoT, you know, wonderful wearables, AI ML completely bypasses industry. And so, and what we're doing is we're bringing all of that into this industry and then some, and, you know, quite honestly, we're sharky um, when it comes to patents. um, So, you know, I, I'm a lapsed lawyer, I guess, for lapsed, black, better word. I'm a licensed attorney in the state of New York. Um, I did spend some time at the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office as a legal intern, um, and, you know, one of the things that were, you know, spent 26 plus years in the tech industry helping build out patents, and so hired the VP of engineering on um, that has, you know, worked on a number of patents and issue patents, and so um, one of the first things we did was in the past year that we've been here, um, you know, already filed five provisional patents and valuable patents to basically block off competitors in a space, and we're building technology not just about trying to get people help faster but actually getting to predictive analytics right trying to prevent those falls and that's where we all need to get to that these technology can't just be you know kind of like a random you know like walkie talkie that you wear around your neck, it has to actually be a device that is actually helping to prevent more falls to help your caretakers um, get to a state where they can actually help you, you know, get more mobility, get more active, um, prevent falls, any number of these sort of um situations from a health, you know, healthcare perspective.
0: I mean, it, I mean, really, it sounds like, you know, where the company's at in its life cycle, you know, post turnaround is it sounds like you're in like the, I mean, and correct me if I'm wrong and I'm going to use a baseball analogy. I mean, you're in the top of the first with maybe two outs, right? I mean, you know, we're just kind of starting off with traditional PERS uh, tech, technology as kind of the, the the razor blade or sorry, the razor. And then there's everything else that's coming that that's coming down the road.
1: Yeah, Um I am horrible with baseball analogies, but I'm going to give this a whirl.
0: Very, so, it's um, very early. I'll put it like that. Okay. It's very
1: really early in the innings for sure. Um, I would say that, you know, we're in the first, you know, first or second sort of inning of this game. And we've got two man, like two men on base. Right. And we're about to get our big, you know, our big slugger, you know, to come on. And so we're feeling pretty good. I, you know, maybe we'll put one more guy in the base, but our, our, our guy who's coming and in, in our particular case, you know, that big swinger is, you know, the, the new hardware products and, you know, technology products that we're launching very soon. And we're so excited about it. It looks nothing like what we're seeing out in a market from other providers. Um, it's visually feel um, experiential All of it radically different than anything that's out in the market.
0: Absolutely. So, actually, in the presentation, you talk about how COVID 19 really changed um, just the healthcare space, especially the care space in particular. And, you know, how would you say COVID 19 affected the company? What were the issues? And how did the company overcome some of what could have been, you know, a death knell?
1: Yeah, no, I think that's a really good question. I think that all of us suffered um tremendously as um, companies during COVID, so much uncertainty, not just, you know, for ourselves individually, but you know, for the market itself. And in our particular case, you know, when you've got COVID cases rolling into a vulnerable population, you know, the hospital shut down. And so you have to look at our products from the veterans administration side as you know, they prescribe them the way that you prescribe drugs in order to get prescribed any. Thing, you really have to be able to sort of see a doctor and then prescribe it to you, right? And so when the hospital networks and a clinic shut down, it really kind of, you know, really hit us hard from a revenue perspective. But we really, um, it's inspiring to be in this company and to come on as a CEO, because I've never seen a group of employees with more heart, you know, they, they knew that people in isolation was not a great thing, things could happen. And so, you know, Nothing like a tireless, you know, sales, you know, sales individuals and a big call out to um, one of our top salespeople, Kathy, like she was tireless. Her mission is to help, you know, help the veterans. And so she called and called and called, even at a time when the hospital networks are shut down to make sure that all of the clinics had what they needed to help and, you know, worked out, you know, telemedicine sort of, you know, abilities to basically help the clinicians understand the product so that they can actually, in fact, then set up telemedicine meetings with these veterans to get these devices into their hands. And so, you know, I have to applaud the veterans administration um, staff and administration for, you know, being shut down and still making sure that their, you know, elder veterans were taken care of and for the staff at this company, right. That was weird. And we've really faced a couple of different things. I mean, we're like a federal contractor. So we actually all had to be, you know, vaccinated right this is not necessarily the early days something that everybody felt comfortable with so we persevere through that um you know being i think remote um you know in this particular space you know um and it's really worked well for us and so that's a model that we're in and that's worked out well as well
0: absolutely all right so this is my next question here is uh to mass everybody on here and it, it, it's very, uh, per, you know, actually timely because we actually just met at an investor conference where, you know, I'm sure you had some one-on-ones, you're getting out there, public company, talking to investors. You know, so what would you say that investors maybe still get confused about, even after, you know, maybe seeing the presentation, you know, doing a quick, you know, kind of look at the company and everything like that? What do they still get confused about and what, what are they frequently asking you?
1: Yeah, well, besides the fact that you guys were next ID and what's this thing called a walk it? Um, outside huh. of those things, right? So I I it, hopefully I was able to dispatch with those questions fairly quickly. Um I think the piece that really um always sort of um confounds people. And it maybe it's because um, you know, for for some of the investors who are not, who are just kind of getting into a situation where they have those aging parents, you know, and, and it's actually ironically a very small number of those. Um, the question is, you know, is there really a big marketplace? But to be candid, I think that the biggest concern and the questions people always have is, you know, what's the sort of, you know, defensibility of the technology? Everybody actually, ironically, most people, when we talk to them and we're analysts and investors, they all get it. What's really um, a wonderful sort of opportunity with this company is that when you tell people what you're trying to do, people immediately get... You know, we want to help our elderly. We want to get them help faster so they can be safer, and we want to, you know, prevent a fall. All very understandable. Um, and then everybody has their own personal story, right? My father has fallen. My, you know, father-in-law has fallen. And so we have no problems for people to understand what our mission and what we're trying to achieve is. I think the biggest portion is in a technology world that we live in today. You know, there's a lot of crossovers. Like what about the iWatch is really the number one question I, I get asked, right? Well, wouldn't the iWatch come in and sort of like decimate your business, right? Um, and I always laugh because I'm just like, are you wearing an iWatch? Is that thing trying to call 911 right now, right? That's actually one of the most prevalent, So it like ha- literally I could not have set it up better, right? Like I was telling you, I was on a Zoom um, experience with an analyst and he's like, I, you know, excuse me if I look like I'm looking at my watch, but for some reason my new iWatch keeps on trying to dial 911. And he's got a lot of hand movements. You know, I'm, I'm kind of a hand movement kind of gal too. So, um, but it was triggering the fall detection on his iWatch, right? And so my feedback to people and their concerns is always like, yes, like all of these watch companies, like let's just say iWatch and even the Fitbit, everybody wants to get into this sort of health monitoring, you know, care business. And what the biggest challenge that they don't think about is when you're in a consumer products business, you're looking for a massive, massive scale, right? you got to make that iWatch work for my 14 year old girl to my like mother-in-law who's like 87. Right. right. And the reality is that you're never going to make a technology that's going to be suited for both spectrums of the business well. And so you become basically meh for like everybody. Right. Because it's a common denominator business. In our particular case, if we look at sort of, I'm a Zugler girl at heart. Like I believe in, you know, a well maintained platform and ecosystem. And so that means that I don't have a lot of ego. Like I'm not going to make the best watch out there. Right. For um, somebody who's, you know, between 14 and like 50. Right, I really think that that's probably you know I watch and maybe that's the Pixel Watch and maybe that's even a Fitbit, right? And so we have great technology when it comes to this idea of understanding what's actually a fall. Um, we have the patents around it, and um, we have the services that's you know tied to it. So if you have that need, you know we are happy and you know willing to partner with any of these folks, right? So they're in a the hardware business. And so, and they have services, but those services are not geared towards that type of monitoring work. And we are and we're
0: absolutely the partners. Yeah. And, you know, and, and, and I, and the, the funny thing is like, I remember we, we asked this question back when we were in Chicago, um, but was what, what's interesting. And the reason I didn't bring it up today, and I'm glad you did is because you, you brought up earlier in the interview, how it's like how like you're being notified constantly you know especially <laughs> if you have notifications on for like a thousand different things like i do you know i'm getting notified all the time for you know whatever bleacher report or news or whatever you know whatever it is and like now i have another thing that i have to be concerned about I'm like oh my god is this it you know it just it 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 it's almost a like, yeah it, you but know it, it's distracting
1: right and it's distracting and you know everybody wants this idea of having a fall detection device on your wrist. And actually it's one of the most inaccurate locations and we want it on our wrist, right. It's because wearing something around your neck or whatever makes you feel like an old person who wants to feel like an old person. It's certainly not the, you know, very well off boomer generation who's used to getting all the best things in the world, they don't want to feel like they're old people. And when you, you know, at least if you have something that looks like a watch, it doesn't make you feel like you're, you know, not able to live independently and and all of those things. Right. So it's, it makes a lot of sense. I think that if you're, you know, if you're looking at crash and fall detection, um, from Apple's perspective, everything is a crash and everything looks like you know, so it's like a hammer, everything looks like a nail, right? Our interest is that the reality of the world that we live in as an individual is that sometimes you do have things that you're doing that looks like a fall, right? But it's not a fall. And so the technology has to be smart. It has to have ML, you know, and AI to say that, you know, today, Shailen, like, that looks like a fall. Are you okay? Yes. Tuesday, 10 o'clock. I'm doing yoga. I'm fine. You know, I'm okay. Happens again on Thursday. You know, make a call to you and say, "Hey, are you okay?" Yep, just doing yoga. Boom. So now we gotta be, we gotta be better as a company. And say like Tuesdays and Thursdays, all of the factors check off, but this looks, this is actually not. And so now that we're learning your routine, you know, we don't ping you every time. And that's the problem with the systems as they are today. So they care more about all of these boxes or checks, and so therefore, it's a fall versus. This is a learning system. Your digital twin within our ecosystem, it has to learn that this is your routine. And that way, when they learn your routine and you're off your routine, then we know something is wrong, right? Right. I don't think that that's really what they're building. And I think that is 100% what we care about. Are you deviating from the patterns of you know, your digital twin? And then does your d- digital twin match with the aggregate of other people's digital twin? You know, Are there things that, We're seeing in terms of patterns that we should be concerned about because the outcomes for these, you know, individuals was a fall three months later after this pattern, right? Absolutely. That's bringing really innovative technology into an industry that really, really needs it. One hundred
0: percent. So, another question that I have for you, you know, went through the financials a little bit. You know, we see the company is is not not profitable yet, so. Would love to know from your perspective what what is the company's path to profitability at this point?
1: Sure, um, I think that's very valid. I mean, you know, at one point, you know, we were about to be break even, and we got there because you know we were really struggling on the revenue side because of COVID, um, and you know we we're getting there, and then we just didn't invest in um, building new products. When we inherited the company in twenty twenty one, we had zero product pipeline. I think we had like a half-baked product and that was in a pipeline, nothing else. And so, you know, when you're a tech company, you really need to have product pipeline. You have to have a portfolio of things that people want. And so it's taken us, you know, these past, you know, over a year to basically build that product pipeline. We're not talking about building just software, even though we're going to be a SaaS or CPaaS and Software leading company, but we're still building proprietary hardware technology to boot, as well as patented AIML. Those things don't come out of thin air. It takes time to build those things out. You know, for us, you know, you'll see us basically move towards, you know, product launches in the, and starting to launch our new products. At, you know, towards the end of the year, beginning of next year, and when we look at profitability, you know, this has been we are in you know, building mode, so we are. Um, not break even, and we are in building mode. You'll see us basically, you know, still be in building mode. Probably, you know, closer to, you know, mid next year. But then, you know, what we're trying to build out in terms of the channels, right? You know, increasing our B two you know, channels, bringing in, you know, the resources for a uh, direct to consumer channel, building out a B two B channel, and the the technology infrastructure to support that that people want. You know, we feel like we're, from a profitability point of view, then we're getting closer to, you know, going down that path, you know. And I, beyond saying that, you know, I think that that's the best guidance we can have given that we're a public company and none of us want to get arrested, right? So, you know, we are in a building mode, um, you know, as you've mentioned, you know, companies like Microcaps, we are, there's always a lot of pivots and it's not a straight road to, you know, success always, right? Um, we're at a very, very big inflection point at this company.
0: So Shailin, you know, this leads me to my next question. And from what you can tell us, where, in your opinion, where would you like to see the company in three to five years? And what would you say are some of the inflection points that will get you there?
1: Sure. You know, look, I think, you know, we are, and I've said it before and I'll say it again, we are a startup with a ticker symbol, right? Um, for all intents and purposes, we look like a Series A company in terms of revenue size, um, but we are a public company with a tr- tremendous amount of transparency. Um, I would love to see this company, you know, move on a trajectory of a, you know, classic um, Series A, you know, Silicon Valley startup, right? Um, for the investors, I mean, that's obviously great news because, you know, the we're, we believe that we're a fast growth company, tech company, Right. Um, we have all the benefits of being a public company and all the negatives, of course, of being a public company. Um, but what we are is a startup. And so I like to see this company, I mean, which startup can really predict what three to five year looks like in the world that we live in as a technology startup. But, you know, our job is to do what we set out to do. And I think that job is to, you know, really, truly, um, you know, I think grow our B2G business so that we can get as many of these needed products into the hands of, you know, as many seniors as we believe is needed. Um, I think that we are excited about, you know, building that dialogue and that channel to the consumers because we think that the people who are feeling the most pain is that consumer. It's that one in four millennial the half of Gen Xers out there. They're feeling the pain and they don't know where to turn to um, you know, when their parents hit into a trouble spot, right? Um, If we do our jobs right, not only do we provide these products, but we actually hopefully can even grow other technology and services to help them as caretakers. I have a a tremendous amount of interest in growing what we call the care village, right? That sort of ecosystem to help caretakers um, and build that sort of network to help each other and to help everybody, you know, become sort of more independent living oriented. Um, and if we do our jobs, right, I think we completely transform this industry that hasn't innovated in 35 years. I mean, I'd like to see that in three to five years that what we're doing isn't, um, I don't, wouldn't even call it bleeding edge. I mean, I, i I always hesitate when I, when people talk about bleeding edge, we're not bleeding edge, we're, we're really, um, a leading edge company. And the difference here is that bleeding edge is that sort of, I think. Facebook just put out, hey, you know, we have a hardware that you can use your mind to control things. I'm like, that's pretty out there. You know what I'm saying? Um, What we have is emerging technology that is super useful, super easy to use. um, And we're really the, you know, the folks who is going to lead this industry to look at, like, how, what does it mean to treat um, this Part of the aging process easier. You know what does it mean to offer a package and make this as simple a process? Given how tremendously difficult it is to help an aging parent make this process as easy as possible, and if we've done our job right, then we are in three to five years. You know, whenever people talk about this business, we're at the number one, number two company that they talk about, right? In taking care of this, you know, the elderly and
0: bringing that sort of comfort to the caretakers. Absolutely. All right, so one last question for you to close this out here, you know, how's you, you just became a CEO, I think what, 2021, early 2021. Yes. So how's been the experience being this public company CEO? You know, it's not an easy job. You know, what, how, how's, how's, has it been for you so far?
1: Yeah. Um, it, it's so funny to ask that. I mean, uh, I had a discussion dinner with a number of um, executives last night in Palo Alto, Silicon Valley on Sand Hill Road. And so I think I was the only public company CEO there. Um, Most of the other folks were, you know, private equity venture backed CEOs. And so what was sort of interesting here is that, but we actually had a very similar trajectory. Um, The difference is I came in here and I think when the recruiter came, the discussion was, yeah, so this company has two lawsuits and it's about to be delisted, um, you know, and it's COVID and, and you know, hospital networks are shut down. So we might not be doing as well as we hope. So what do you think? Welcome aboard, right? And so at the time I was looking at, you know, job opportunities with fast growing venture backed startups. And there was a real question as to whether or not you sort of tackle something like a pivot like this, right? Um, I've always been sort of a Silicon Valley gal, um, you know, startup mode, Um, done my stints at public companies as an exec, but, you know, this seemed like, you know, a very big pivot, Um, but it has been the single most amazing experience in my career. I think that if you're in, if you really believe that there's a marketplace and a real need for your product, Um, there's nothing more exciting, I think, as a CEO to sort of know that there's an audience that really needs your product out there. Um, And honestly, I think that, you know, um, I'm ultimately a geek, right? I think that I'm excited by revenue, because I'm a CEO, like, I like to drive revenue, revenue is, you know, awesome. And if you know that you have a silver tsunami of like, you know, customers that you can get at like that makes everybody's heart palpitate um but ultimately I'm also a geek and so the technology build that we're trying to do here what we're trying to provide into the marketplace it excites me because I love you know when we can innovate an entire industry right and I love that we're going to be that company and it's exciting to be the ceo of a company that's going to be leading in changing how people look at that sort of industry so that we're no longer the I fall in and can't get up business right um like because that's you know it, there's always a little part of me's like we got to put out an ad that kind of riffs on that right like more millennial you know gen x style on that um but it's exciting it's been a wonderful ride to be at this company because again it's a company with a great mission it's a company with a lot of upside in terms of revenue opportunities and the industry and then you know we're all here together you know all of us who are executives at this company we're all people with public company experience as well as startup experience and so this is a wonderful ride for us because it combines all of the things that we love about both those types of companies right so Absolutely, it's been great, and, and we we'll look forward to delivering. You know what we promise to shareholders. We've been very good about saying we're going to deliver X, and then we've delivered it, right? So, um, you know, we know that a lot of people overpromise and underdeliver, and that's just not how we
0: operate. So very good. Well, Shailin, we're there with that. Where can our audience go and find more information on Logic Mark?
1: Well, you can find out more about us at www.logicmark.com. You can also find us on Twitter with the same handle, um, as well as on Facebook with the same handle. So we're looking forward to sort of sharing um, what we're seeing in terms of, you know, caretakers and loved ones out there and, and the technology information that you might need. So we appreciate a visit.
0: Very good. Well, Shailen, thank you so much for joining me today. I really do appreciate it. Good luck. Stay safe. And I look forward to our next update. Thank you, Robert. Thank you.